Abigail. And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Hey, good morning, Hope Culture Church. It's a good day. It's a Sunday, one of my favorite days of the week. My name's Abigail. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting each other, I hope that we get to. Hey, Hope Culture Church Online, I see you, and I'm so glad you're joining us. Today, I have the pleasure of kicking off our Christmas series. You know, Christmas is just a special time of year, and it's a great time to really lean into the story of Jesus. We're kicking off a series of talks called The Gift. And we're going to be launching into this series and over the course of our time leading up to Christmas, which by the way, Christmas is 12 days away. So the countdown is on. I know when I say that, some of you get stressed out and some of you are filled with anticipation or maybe a little bit of both. I know I probably feel both a little bit. There's lots of things to do, but there's that building anticipation. And over the course of the time that we're together over for the next few days. We're going to lean into the Christmas story. The gift, this series, is really to draw our attention back to the true meaning of the holiday season by highlighting the significance of the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. And I believe that we are going to be able to connect with the symbolism within the story of Christ birth to our relationship with Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, we are going to be reading from Matthew's gospel. And, um, you know, it's a story that we read oftentimes around this time of year. And I think sometimes it's easy to skim over the details because we're very familiar with this story. Um, But I want to really dig into some of the details because I think they're um, in the details. There's some depth there that we can glean from. Um, I think that there's some complexity around the miracle of Jesus, and I think the details are really significant. So I'm excited to dive into those with you, and I think that as we look um, for new insight in the details, we're going to gain a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. So before I read the text, I want to just give you some context of what's happening in Matthew chapter 2. And um, you, may, you may know this story. If you're not, this might be new to you. Um, to recap, Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. And what happened was there were some wise men, and these wise men were astrologers. They were also called magi. They were very powerful and very wealthy. Oftentimes, they were highly respected among everyone, including kings. Um, And these wise men were known for interpreting dreams, and they traveled a great distance to come and see Jesus and to worship him. Now, how many wise men were there? Do you guys know how many wise men there were? How many of you had, have, or maybe your grandma has, or maybe you had a nativity scene? Maybe some of you have one in your house right now. Yes, some of you do. Okay, how many wise men are there always? Three, right? Well, how many wise men were there really? 
We don't actually know. The Bible doesn't say. Um, Actually, I would argue there are probably dozens of wise men that traveled because of the great uproar, the commotion that was caused by these wise men when they came to Bethlehem and when they spoke to Herod. And that's something you guys can dig into on your own time. There's some really interesting facts surrounding the wise men. But there are probably many. And they probably had some security with them because they were highly wealthy. They maybe had some staff or people traveling with them. So it was an entourage of people. And um, the tradition, though, tells us three, and that's fine. If you are um, someone who has a nativity scene in your house, um, a more accurate depiction of the wise men would be if you place the wise men in a room, a few rooms over to the east, because the wise men were actually there at the time of Jesus's birth, like we often have depicted in our nativity scene. They actually came later with Jesus was um, probably around two years old. But we know for sure they were highly educated, incredibly wealthy men, and they were desperate to meet the one who might be the savior of the world. Um, So let's read right now in Matthew chapter 10 verse 2. It says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. So notice it says house. They're no longer in a major scene. They've upgraded to a house. And saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, when Dan and I, Dan and I have three kids. When Dan and I had our kids, we did not receive any gold, frankincense, or myrrh. What kind of gifts are these for children, right? Such, for a child, such an interesting choice of gifts. When we had our children, we received diapers and onesies and blankets and pacifiers and a home-cooked meal. Mary probably would have appreciated that. Um, but Jesus received gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I think it is significant that the wise men offered three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are three very unique gifts, especially for a child. These gifts were not only valuable, but they were incredibly practical. And they were also deeply spiritual. All Bible scholars actually agree that these gifts were not only useful for this family, but they also prophetically foreshadowed what Jesus would represent, which is very powerful. And that's really what we are going to unpack during this Christmas series. Gold represents the kingship of Jesus. We know that gold is valuable in and of itself, but it spiritually represents Jesus' kingship. Myrrh, which we're going to talk about next week, represents Jesus as the suffering servant or the Lamb of God. And today we're going to talk about frankincense. And before I kind of tell you what frankincense spiritually represents, I want to tell you a little bit about frankincense. Frankincense was highly sought after in ancient times, and it was very expensive. Frankincense is a particular resin from a particular tree, and they would harvest it by making an incision in the trunk of the tree. And in winter, a sap would drain from that incision, 
and then they would allow it to harden, and then they would grind it into a powder. And then when they burned that, it was highly fragrant. And, you know, people still use frankincense today. So while I was kind of researching frankincense this week, I contacted my essential oil advisors, of which I have many in my life. Um, I grew up in a very oily home, and so my mom is one of my essential oil advisors. And so frankincense is actually a familiar smell to me. If you haven't smelled it before, it has a very woodsy, kind of balsam smell. I think it actually kind of smells like Christmas. It's very nice. Um, it's a beautiful smell. And so... Here's what I gathered from my kind of advisors about frankincense. Frankincense is a symbol of healing. It is an oil that is very multi-purpose. Uh, frankincense oil possesses antiseptic, astringent, carminative, diuretic, digestive, sedative, uterine, and vulnerary therapeutic properties. It can also help with asthma, depression, ulcers, immunity, and it is very good for your skin. Frankincense is actually um, known to help prevent stretch marks. So I think Mary would have appreciated this oil a little bit earlier when she was pregnant with Jesus. Um, but frankincense is a very expensive, practical gift, and it, served, it really serves to help heal all kinds of wounds and sicknesses. So pretty much if it hurts, put some frankincense oil on it. It's very multi-purpose. Frankincense actually appears in the Bible over 52 times. Although it could be even more than that because when you read the word incense in your Bible, it's actually translated from the Hebrew and Greek word um, frankincense. So our word incense comes from that in the Hebrew and Greek, and it's referring to that same oil. So it's very, it's very common throughout the Bible to see this word. And frankincense in the, in the Bible is almost always associated with one thing. It's associated with the priesthood of Israel. It was used by them and for them when they were anointed into the priesthood. So the priests would use frankincense. This is where kind of more of the spiritual representation of frankincense comes in because this is the oil that the priest would use during sacrifices to burn as incense. The incense would create a smoke that would rise to heaven and that smoke would symbolize the prayers of the people rising in faith to God. And so the question is, why did the wise men give Jesus frankincense? Bible scholars agree that frankincense represents the priestliness of Jesus. It was a prophetic gift, and it was given to Jesus. It represents him as our high priest, which is what we're going to kind of dive into together today. And so I'm curious, when you hear the word high priest, like what, what kind of pops into your mind? What comes to mind? Maybe if you grew up in Catholic tradition, that is a familiar term to you. But maybe it's a kind of a foreign term. So I'm going to kind of explain it a little bit from um, a biblical perspective. So the priests in the Old Testament served one primary role that was broken into two different functions. The priest essentially would represent the people before God. The priest was kind of like the go-between between the people and God. He was like the middleman, right? 
Have you ever been to a car dealership? Dan and I recently had an experience at a car dealership. We had to purchase a minivan, and um, we had never bought a vehicle from a car dealership before. And so we had a negotiation strategy as we headed to the car dealership. We decided, well, first of all, we decided on a number that we were not willing to go above. There's a specific minivan that we were going there for, and Dan and I decided we were going to play good bad cop. You guys can guess who the bad cop was. Dan's a softie, and I was like, listen, we've got bills to pay. We have a budget. Oh, yeah. I was like, we're going to get the deal. And so, anyways, we get there. We meet this car salesman. We're negotiating, and very quickly, we realize the car salesman is just the middleman. The car salesman doesn't really have much power. He, for every little bit of negotiation, has to go to the big boss in this other room that we're not allowed to go in and communicate our negotiations with him and then come back and communicate with us. He's like the middleman, right? It's kind of a loose illustration for what the high priest's role was in the Old Testament. The high priest would go to the people, the people would confess their sins, and then the priest would go to God in the Holy of Holies. And so the priest was kind of like a middleman, and the, the primary role was broken into two different functions. First, the priest made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. So the priest would take an innocent animal and sacrifice it to represent the forgiveness of people's sins. And secondly, the priest prayed prayers on behalf of the people to God, representing the people to God. So I kind of want to talk for a moment here about those two functions as we see Jesus as our high priest, both the sacrifices and the prayers. And so we'll start with the sacrifices for our sins. Since the very moment in the Garden of Eve, the Garden of Eden, when Eve sinned against God, there were two opposing forces, right? There's the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. Now in our culture today, we don't really like to talk about sin, right? We actually don't even really like to confess that we've sinned. Usually we say words like, oh, I've made a mistake or I messed up, right? We don't really like to use that term. One person said that sin is a very outdated term to trick children into being good. I mean, who needs a proper theology of sin when we have Elf on the Shelf, right? We have Elf on the Shelf who can tell you and tell Santa if your kids are behaving, right? And Santa is making a list and he's checking it twice and he's going to find out who's naughty or nice, right? That's kind of our theology of sin. But here's the challenge. We have to understand the reality of sin because there's the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And if we don't understand the holiness of God, we'll always have a casual approach to sin. Until we understand what it truly means that God is holy, we'll never realize the cost and the tragedy of what sin does to us. So God is holy. What does it mean that God is holy? The word holy comes from the Greek word agios, which means separate. It means other. What is God? God is transcendently separate. He is, he is transcendently other. Our God is perfect in every single way. He is flawless. He is pure. He has no fault. There is no wrong. There is no stain in him. Our God is transcendently other. Holiness isn't just one of his attributes. 
Holiness is the perfection of all of his attributes. So for instance, his power is holy. His grace is holy. His mercy is holy. His glory is holy. It is his holiness, his otherness, his separateness, his purity that really makes him worthy of our praise. So our God is holy. And our challenge is, is that we're not. We don't even need an elf on the shelf to tell us this. We know this, right? You and I, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I will be the first person up here to admit that. I have fallen short. I am not perfect. We are not perfect. And you know, scripture teaches us that every single one of us has done something wrong. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. What is sin? Sin is anything that you think, say, or do that breaks God's laws or breaks, him, breaks his heart. That's really as simply as I can say it. It's anything you do that breaks his heart, breaks his laws, whether you think it, say it, or do it. You know what? Sin disrupts our intimacy with him. This is why God hates sin, right? Because it's everything that he is not. It's the opposite of his holiness. Sin disrupts our intimacy with God. But not only that, I would argue that sin disrupts our intimacy in all of our relationships. It affects our relationships with people when we have unattended sin in our life. It affects all the health of our relationships. So sin separates us from God. It disrupts our fellowship, and it breaks our life. I think it destroys us, and that's why God hates it. And so there's the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. The high priest in the Old Testament, one time a year, would make a sacrifice as a temporary payment for the sins of the people. This day is known as the Atonement Day, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and the priest would sacrifice an innocent animal. They would go into the tabernacle behind the veil into a holy place known as the Holy of Holies. And so the priest then would light frankincense. This is where frankincense comes in. And the incense would burn off smoke that would rise to heaven, representing the cries of the people um, of God for mercy. And then the priest would take two goats. And the first one, he would sacrifice the blood of the innocent animal and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. This would symbolize the death of an innocent one in place of the guilty ones as a payment for sins. Then have any of you ever heard of the term scapegoat? Scapegoat. This is where that term comes from right here. The priest would take an innocent goat, place his hand on the goat, and confess all the sins of the people. This was symbolically transferring the sins onto the goat. And then what they would do is actually drive the goat out into a wilderness, away from the city and from the people. They'd sometimes even drive it off of a cliff. And so the first animal died as a sacrifice, paying for the sins of the people. And then the scapegoat was run out of the community, symbolizing that the sins were separated from the people of God. So the sins were both forgiven and removed. This is really quite the ordeal, isn't it? I was thinking about this. I mean, man, it is kind of gruesome, kind of um, gross to think about the animals, innocent animals, that priests would have to slit their throat, drain their blood, and then place the blood on the mercy seat. I mean, the priests have to have had a very strong stomach to be able to do that. And I think also it's um, it seems kind of unfair, right, that the innocent animals were dying over and over again for the sins of the people. Um, it's a hard thing to comprehend, and it's hard to comprehend why. Why did God set up this um, system of sacrifice? Well, here's what we need to understand. God is just. 
He is completely just, and so he must punish sin. And God is not only just, but he is merciful. And so here's, what the, here's the beauty of what God does. The sacrifice satisfies God's justness and at the same time extends mercy to the people that he loves so much. And this was a temporary covering in the old covenant. God provided this system of sacrifice for Israel in order to satisfy God's justice. But listen, we are not people of the old covenant. We are under the new covenant. And Jesus is the new sacrifice. God had a merciful plan and wants to provide for us a way to be forgiven. Because listen, the gap is too great between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. The gap is too great. But Jesus comes in. And Jesus, our high priest, fills the gap. He is actually our bridge builder. He bridges the gap between us and God. Listen to this. In Latin, the term high priest actually means bridge builder. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus, our high priest, is our bridge builder. This is who he is. He bridges the gap for us between us and God. Hebrews 10, uh, verse 10 through 16 says a little bit more about our great high priest, Jesus. It says, For God's will was for us to be made holy. We're not holy in and of ourselves, but it's God's will for us to be holy. How are we made holy? By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. It's only a temporary covering for sin. But our high priest, whose name is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Isn't that good news? That is good news. Jesus, our high priest, offered his life, shedding innocent blood as a covering for our sins. So now we're in the new covenant. And when God looks at you, when you are in Jesus, when he looks at you, he sees you through the lens of Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Picture it like this. Picture it like clothes. You were once wearing old, dirty, tattered clothes. They're smelly and they're old. And what happens when you are in Jesus is he exchanges something. He transfers his clean, pristine, holy, righteous clothes onto you. So when you are in Jesus, you are clothed in righteousness. And that's how God sees you, even if you don't see yourself that way. That's how God sees you. God sees you covered in righteousness. Scripture says that he even forgets your sin. Isn't that hard to comprehend? Jesus our high priest covers us in righteousness and God forgives us of our sins and he forgets even when we don't. He wipes it clean. Jesus is our great high priest. Here's more good news. He is not just a distant savior that looks down from a high place and says, well, I see you down there, but it kind of stinks to be you. 2020 has been quite the year for you. No, he is a high priest who understands and cares. Scripture says this in Hebrews 4, verse 14 and 15. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. 
This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. This high priest of ours, Jesus, he understands our weaknesses because he faced all of the same testings that we do. I hope you understand that. I hope you embrace that truth. Whatever you're going through today, Jesus gets it. He relates to our trials. He actually sympathizes with our pain. Whatever you're going through in this day, in this moment, in this year, God gets it. Jesus has been there. He can sympathize because he, incarnate God, walked this earth as a man. If you feel stressed right now, if you feel overwhelmed, Jesus gets it. Jesus understands. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus' friends abandoned him and he knew what he was about to face, he fell to the ground and he said, My soul is overwhelmed in agony to the point of death. If you face anxiety, Jesus gets it. If you deal with crazy people in your life or in your family, Jesus gets it. You know why? Because Jesus dealt with crazy people in his family. He is our high priest who has experienced all the pain of being in a human body. He is near. He has experienced all the emotion of being rejected by friends. All the agony, all the hurting, all the feeling alone, feeling abandoned. If you've ever felt abandoned, Jesus understands Think about how much Jesus understands. Think about his humanity for a moment so that you can realize how much he cares for you. When Jesus told his family, I'm the Messiah, they called him crazy. Jesus was conceived out of wedlock to a teenage mom, which was scandalous in that time. He was raised in a small town where everybody whispered and gossiped about him. Jesus lived in poverty. He was criticized. He was ridiculed. He was bullied. He was tempted by the devil again and again in his most weakest moments. And yet he did not sin. Jesus experienced the death of a close friend. He grieved the loss of family members. He was accused of things that he did not do. His friends betrayed him. And worst of all, he felt abandoned by God on the cross. He wasn't abandoned, but he felt that way because as all the sin of the world was bore on his shoulders, God looked away from him because he is holy and he can't be near sin. And he got, or Jesus cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've ever felt like that, if you've ever felt like, God, where are you? If you've ever felt in a moment, where are you? If you ever felt like you couldn't reach the presence of God, Jesus understands. Your high priest empathizes with you. He sees you. He's near to you. He's been there. He empathizes, sympathizes. He understands. Maybe you felt like you've been abandoned or forsaken. Jesus gets it. Jesus is caught up in the details of your life. Even in this unprecedented year that 2020 has been, Jesus is near to us. And he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In this Christmas series, we're going to dwell on the details of God. God born in the form of a child who loves you, who cares about you. God the Father in his divine providence sent wise men to offer gifts, prophetically declaring the nature of Jesus to come. Gold, he is our king. Myrrh, he is our suffering servant. And frankincense, he is our high priest who would be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins and pray prayers to our God in heaven on our behalf. You know, scripture tells us this. 
let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Isn't that beautiful? What can you do? You can come boldly. No matter what 2020 has looked like, Scripture says, come to him boldly. And what will you find? You will find grace and mercy when you need it the most. You can come to him because he understands. He understands what you're going through. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive mercy and grace in our high priest when we need it the most. So you can come to him today. You can come to him as you are. You never have to hide because he knows. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to pray um, or talk in like a special kind of way. It's like when our children are little and they come running up and jumping on your lap and they ask for things boldly. They say, I need a snack. I need this. I want that. This is on my Christmas list, right? They don't hold back. They come boldly into my presence. They come boldly into a mother and father's presence. Why? Because they're in relationship. And that's what we're in with our high priest. It's in a relationship. So I encourage you today, we're going to come boldly. We're going to come boldly. You don't have to tiptoe around God. He's, he's with you. He's here right now. So what I want to do right now is I just want to take a moment for us. And I want us to just come boldly before the throne room of grace where our high priest is ready and waiting for us. We're going to come boldly into the presence of God together. And so you can, you can just, in your own seat, in your own words, you can close your eyes. And just right now, go boldly before him. Just bring to him whatever it is that you've been carrying. He knows. He's been there. He empathizes. He's with you. Bring your hurt. Just lay it down. Maybe there's someone on your mind. Maybe there's a prodigal you've been praying for, someone who's far from God. Maybe that name is coming to your mind right now. I encourage you to bring it before him. Bring that name to Jesus right now. He's our high priest. And listen, he is interceding with you for that person. It says Jesus intercedes at the throne and the right hand of God in the throne room of grace. He intercedes for you and for me. Isn't that beautiful? You don't have to hide. Bring whatever it is that you want to carry before him. This is where we receive mercy and grace and find help when we need it the most. Maybe you're struggling financially. Jesus is your provider. Maybe you're hurting emotionally. Jesus is your comforter. Maybe you're struggling physically or you got a bad doctor's report. Jesus is your healer. Maybe you are battling anxiety. Jesus is your peace. Maybe you feel tired, exhausted, worn out, burned out. Jesus is your strength. He understands. In your weakness, his strength is made complete. Just call on him right now. He is your high priest. So as, as you continue praying, I'm just going to speak to the people in the room right now who are recognizing their need for, for a savior. Maybe you're recognizing the gap between the sinfulness of mankind and the holiness of God. There's a gap there. And maybe today for the first time, you're recognizing your need for a bridge builder, 
someone to bridge the gap between you and God. Well, I have some hope for you, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, our ultimate bridge builder, bridges that gap. Why? God sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life here on earth. And then he died a death none of us could die. He bore the sins of the world, your sin and mine, so that we could live in unity with God. And so if you want to make that decision today to accept Jesus and to bridge the gap between you and God, maybe you felt like God has been distant or far from you. Maybe you felt like you couldn't get to him because of your past or the journey you've been on. Listen to me. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, but we can all come to him because of Jesus, no matter what your past is. And so if that's you, if you're ready to make that decision to accept Jesus, I'm gonna just pray a prayer right now and you can, you can pray it with me. You're gonna say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you died in my place. Thank you that I can live now for you. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for new life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I wanna live for you for all my days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.